Hello and welcome to our listeners to episode 16 of Voltec Tech Talks. Once again, I'm joined by Shabazz Hashmi. How are you doing today, Shabazz? I'm doing great. John, how about yourself? Swimmingly, thank you. So, Shabazz, have you been keeping up to date with recent AI news? No, I have not. I mean, I do have a bit of a look every now and then. But um, no, I mean, I saw this um, article recently that I think will intrigue both yourself and our viewers um, on this whole idea of a sarcasm detection artificial intelligence model. Like, wow, <laughs> I can't even detect sarcasm. I think this is the first AI model that I feel like, huh, that would actually help me day to day. You know, like, do you know how you've got these Alexa devices, right? And they're just always listening. Yeah. What if we could have a device in your pocket that's always listening and it can just tell when someone's being sarcastic or not? <laughs> that's a scary precedent. Because surely if, if it's to be truly aware of whether you're being sarcastic, it is also therefore aware of when you're lying or being truthful. Ooh, interesting. You think so? Oh, I didn't even think of that. That's crazy. Gosh. And then you could probably... I wonder if you could train an AI model to be able to tell if someone's lying. I don't see why it wouldn't be, right? I mean, you can work off people's physical cues. People can, from my understanding, alter the way that, I guess, they would, they would read on a polygraph machine. And I don't know whether this is a fiction work, and I can't remember which film it's from, but there was someone taking a lie detector test, but they put a, a pin in their foot, and they intentionally stomp down on it whenever they were being quizzed on something that they had to lie about in the polygraph but the spiking of their pain receptors would i guess muffle that that is insane oh my gosh so i guess that's a very interesting introduction to what we're talking about today uh and for all of our listeners we do not advocate that you go ahead and start stabbing yourself during lie detector tests you probably like look more guilty than you do innocent if you do that yeah <laughs> not that our listeners would be going on lie detector tests because i'm sure all of our listeners are very very well behaved um members of society absolutely this one goes out to you everyone <laughs> this one goes out to you everyone yeah. well, all of our beloved <laughs> listeners so today shabazz we are indeed having a bit of a general discussion of ai and upcoming emerging exciting technologies which is why we kicked this off with that what did you say sarcasm detection model yeah the sarcasm detection bot this is actually um this came on my radar recently um, and I don't usually like, f like, of course we follow tech news to some extent, right? So for doing this podcast, we've always got our, our ears to Reddit, our ears to a few other tech news sources. Uh, but this one came up and I was like, wow, this is interesting. So, um, we know like over the past few years, AI has kind of gone from this buzzword to kind of being moderately useful at times. I think we've covered that on our podcast so far. Um, but now it's come to a very, very interesting point um, <clears throat> where um, you've got these, um, you've got previous models that used hand-coded rules and statistical techniques um, and neural networks. Uh, a downside to using um, um, this is the data labeling that's required for language processing. Um, that does not use artificial neural networks. So I think we're going through the features of GPT, right? Uh, GPT-3, oh, yeah. GP yeah. G that's the one made by OpenAI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk us through that one? <laughs> yeah, sure. So um, from my understanding, OpenAI is a California-based company. And it's one of, I mean, it's received a ton of philanthropic donations from the likes of Elon Musk and a billion dollars from Microsoft, but cloud-based, if I'm not wrong, right? Yeah, yeah. From what I've seen, it is mostly cloud-based and they have some pretty cool applications, but we'll get into those soon, maybe. Yeah, so the yeah. context behind it, right? <laughs> yeah, so um, GPT-3 is, I suppose, the front-running model for language processing using neural networks to convert natural language into programming language. And I assume it can probably do the reverse side of that as well. So the 
the potential behind this as a concept is pretty staggering. So you could write a sequence of functions that you would like a program to do for you. And GPT-3 can interpret that and translate that into a programming language and basically act as a bridging service between your mind and a tangible programming language, which then actually constitutes program by the end of that. That's pretty mental. So um, just looking into this, um, this is actually pretty recent for our viewers. Um, This was actually part of a paper that was submitted on the 28th of May, 2020. Um, It's a Cornell University paper. We'll link it in the description. But yeah, it's a language model with um, 175 billion parameters. (laughs) That's an absolutely bonkers number. So they seemingly use it as a, they train the AI and then use that training sample to have it yield outputs. So the writer within this BBC article that we'll link in the description to this podcast provided GPT-3 with two or three legal documents and then tasked it to simplify the documents and apparently was quite impressed with the quality of the simplified versions that were released. And apparently also last year, OpenAI stated that they would not be releasing a full version of GPT-2 because it would have raised safety and security concerns. And apparently GPT-3, the one that we're currently on, is hugely more powerful than them. So one has to wonder what, what made OpenAI have this change of heart that makes it now so safe. Yeah, it's because they've released they've released this one, right? I don't know if it's fully released yet. Maybe partially. And apparently, this GPT three can um, generate text as if it was like from a politician specifically. So the whole idea is you can fake, let's say, your favorite politicians or your least favorite politician writing something horrific, right? Because you've got this whole branch of being able to do um, language forensics, where you can identify um, who wrote something just based on the way they speak. I know this is also quite common with um, handwriting as well, to be able to determine if um, one's handwriting is truly one's handwriting. Um, so having an algorithm that can generate articles that sound like a prominent politician is actually very scary. <laughs> and you know how these Twitter accounts constantly get hacked. Yeah. I mean, um, I think there was a big Twitter data breach recently, right? Where um, how many accounts were taken? I'm pretty sure a lot of the big ones. Um, I remember Elon was part of that. Um, Oh, yeah, I recall that. That was huge. That was the huge Bitcoin sort of thing. They were like, send one Bitcoin to this address. We'll send you two back. Exactly. And then people actually fell for it. I mean, I don't blame them. Like if if Elon Musk's verified Twitter (laughs) is telling you to send him a Bitcoin, you're going to send him a Bitcoin. Um, then you see Trump and Putin saying the same thing. Oh, something's up. I don't know. I mean, w- what's the point at which we actually start getting worried about this stuff, right? <laughs> so imagine yeah. something like GPT-3 in conjunction with something like that. Like, of course, that was outlandishly fake. Like, knowing that, you know, um, Putin is telling you to donate a Bitcoin. I mean, that's pretty obviously, like, not Putin, right? Yeah. But then if you can somehow mimic the way Putin talks... And have him just, and if you only hack one account and you write something atrocious in his like um, method of writing, uh, are the public really going to believe that he was hacked? Well, it could be hugely damaging. And yeah, I, your comment on um, forensics for these sorts of things, it's just going to get more and more important as a field of study and I guess um, crime prevention. Deep fakes as well. Like that's that's what I was thinking. That's the of. more tangible. You you have audio visual, the whole kit and caboodle there. You can see the video, and it's so convincing these days. You, there are a, a great deal of synthesized Trump videos where he's saying, yeah, well, stuff that he wouldn't ordinarily say, as well as other. Wait, there's things that Trump would not ordinarily <laughs> say. What is oh, it? Let's just let's just go with that. Yeah, um, but. Yeah, it's just a sandbox of lunacy that... A sandbox of lunacy? I bet you were thinking about that one for a while, eh? (laughs) People can get up to a lot of nefarious things with the 
power of deep fake videos. This is true. So do you know that there's actually an artificial intelligence um, algorithm? That can spot them, right? Um, that can spot them. Yeah. Which makes you think, okay, so if we've got an AI algorithm that can spot deep fakes, like, um, would you need an, what if that fails? Like, would you have to get another AI algorithm that can spot deep fakes or like or upgrade the original algorithm so it's gonna it's like an arms race at this point isn't it people are almost slowly edging up the capacity of whether it's their deep fakery or this their capacity to spot the deep fakery and this really brings an interesting stance onto this whole concept of like i know this is a bit off topic but um have you heard of this theory that we're living in a simulation of course, yeah. Yeah, so assuming we're living in a simulation, like the, the fact that we can fake humanity, at least from a digital perspective, so well now. Yeah. Like if we wanted to create a simulation, we probably could, and it would be pretty damn realistic. So it's a bit worrying. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to throw that out there. It's, it's pretty interesting what AI can actually let us do. Exactly. Many prominent minds believe that it's kind of it's difficult to suggest that we are not living in a simulation just statistically this is true which is kind of but that's a it's a rabbit hole we don't need a this is true we'll get into the whole like inception recursion version of simulation living who knows which simulation we're in (laughs) not me no neither do i anyway back to back to ai Um, so yeah um Deep fakes. Yeah, so we were talking about this whole sarcasm detection bot, and have you actually looked into the OpenAI projects? There are actually quite a few. Uh, not too much, no. What's what's the most prominent that comes to your mind? So let me talk you let me talk you through um one of these really interesting ones. So I mean this is just taking me back to school. I used to um always buy Rubik's cubes, but I could not solve them for the life of me. And they've actually found an AI model that they've trained one. They've trained a pair of neural networks to solve a Rubik's cube with a human-like robot hand, which That's is cool. pretty insane. You've got other, um, you've got, other, yeah. Yeah, I see that right there. Oh, yeah. That multi-agent interaction. You see that one? That I was referring to that in one of our previous um, podcasts, but I totally blanked on where it came from. That's super interesting. I'd recommend any of our listeners to check that out go to the openai.com website and go to their projects tab and check out multi-agent interaction it's insanely cool uh synthetic creatures how to play hide and seek or to compete with one another for food and you see lots all sorts of complex emergent behaviors arise from that and it's very interesting and like when we're saying complex it's actually pretty interesting because like it's not just hide and seek per se You've also got objects that these entities are moving around and blocking doors, and it's actually, um, it's just insane. And every time we come out of a podcast like this one, I have this weird urge to start playing around with AI. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but as life gets in the way, never quite get to it. But yeah, this just, it's insane what you can do with artificial intelligence. Yeah. My favorite part of these. Um, multi-agent interactions is when they figure out how to break the simulation that they're in (laughs) Um, sometimes i've seen some instances wherein they can pretty much you know clip themselves into a wall or something and then like catapult themselves to infinity stuff like that and then just actually break the game that is so so cool i just wonder how do we figure out how to break our game the one that we are in which game is this? Are you referring to the whole simulation model? Oh, yes. I think we already have. Like, I think there's a contradiction. I forget what it's called. Um, I'm going to have a look for it. Um, it has something to do with photons. Um, yeah. So, I don't know if you've heard of this one. Um, it's about whether if, like, have you heard of the whole thing with a photon? Um, if you, um, a photon kind of decides whether it behaves like a wave or a port or a particle based on how it's being observed. I'm trying to get a citation on this. Yeah. Uh, quantum, quantum mechanics slash Schrodinger's cat. It's the, um, the two slit experiment. Yes. That's it. Wherein. Yeah. So to those who aren't aware of the two slit experiment, 
you basically have a little projector that's shooting out a beam of photons and then you have a little uh, a metal cutout set a few meters away from it with two slits in it equally spaced such that the middle of the projector is in between those two slits and you have some kind of um, wall on the other side that can detect where the photons hit when you are looking at the projector launch those photons they go through the two slits as you would expect them to do but when you don't look they get up to some whack stuff and it actually goes between them and the implication of that is that without an observer to watch the interaction the photons act more like a wave rather than matter am i phrasing that correctly yeah. yes uh so i think it's a wave rather than a particle yeah um yeah and it's just mental because um we're we're seeing this phenomenon which is like um which is a contradiction um of course there have been many hypotheses on why this is but nothing has really been proven to be correct so why is matter changing based on whether we're looking yeah that's like that is the most baffling question to do with physics isn't it and so what schrodinger whatever his first name was but schrodinger's cat is a metaphor for that whole two-slit experiment um wherein you have a cat in a box in space and it's basically living in a state of simultaneous life and death because basically there's a mechanism within there that will kill the cat with a with a 50% degree of certainty i suppose within 1 minute and so at the end of that 1 minute the cat is certainly at least dead or alive 50% each it's yeah you got to um i guess suspend your disbelief really but the two slit experiment yeah the the metaphor is harder to work around in your head than thinking about the two slit experiment but that's the gist of the of schrodinger's cat itself and maybe that's our contradiction maybe this is what we um what we have in terms of clipping into the earth you know who knows you may very well be onto something there shabazz because that it is lunacy right that looking yeah looking at a photon will make it change its behavior how does that make any sense? And it makes you wonder, and this is the only point at which we've caught it, what happens when our eyes close? Exactly. <laughs> you know? Like, who knows? I mean, it's mental. And that's why living in this age of artificial intelligence, we, um, we're at this point in humanity where we have a reference to compare our world to that no one before us really had. Um, and it's kind of opening our minds up a little, you know? And who knows, maybe 100 years from now, 200 years from now, we will be seen as primitive. Yeah, I mean, certainly. And there's probably some more answers out there. Yeah, and so the little discussion on quantum mechanics, I find that very interesting. But again, that's, um, that's why quantum computing is projected to be so miraculous. Because in a quantum computer... It's like every, instead of every zero or one in a binary system representing only that zero or one in a quantum computer, it can represent both simultaneously. And that is what makes it exponentially more powerful. Yeah. And I mean, I, they're saying that once quantum computing comes out, it's going to make um, modern day cryptography obsolete. Yeah. Uh, apparently you'd be able to guess all of the cryptographic, um, cryptographic, um, keys very, very easily. Yeah. There's a lot of concern that cryptocurrencies will just get thrown out the window. Oh, I didn't even think about it from a crypto perspective. I was thinking more like user account authentication. Yeah. I f do you think a tangible solution to that might be that people who are, you know, say that not to derail it into cryptocurrency too much, but if you're being a, a bitcoin validator what if you were able to translate that into a quantum computing mechanism make the puzzle harder that's what yeah that's what i'm thinking shift it over right yeah but i don't know but then who knows how like we know with our current computer architecture we have this thing called moore's law have you heard of that yeah yeah so for those of our listeners that have not it states that um every year i think 
uh, or let me just get a proper definition. Every two years, roughly. Yeah. So every two years, we expect um, our computing power to double. Uh, that's the general gist of it. Uh, some people are saying Moore's Law is dead, but it's kind of been the case for a very long time. So on average, it's actually like um, it's actually maintained, and the way this is achieved by um, is by doubling the number of transistors on a microchip. So, like that's been our rate of growth here. So who knows what the rate of growth for quantum computing is going to be? Is it going to be an exponential curve? This is pretty linear, right? Doubling. Actually, no, this is exponential, isn't it? Doubling every two years is exponential. It's two times two times two times two. Yeah. So are we going to have a greater degree of some factor um, helping us break cryptography? Who knows? I mean... Yeah, hard to say from this standpoint, I suppose, right? Exactly. But let's not worry about quantum computing. Hopefully that's a lifetime away. <laughs> <laughs> no, Google's got one, haven't they? Have they? Google have a really crazy looking quantum computer already. Oh my gosh. Imagine the stuff they can do. And then uh, I'm just waiting for Apple to introduce the first quantum computer iPhone chip. <laughs> Call it the Q1. <laughs> That's catchy. Yeah, Google's quantum computer, it's like it, it needs so much coolant from the looks of it. They've got to keep it as cold as possible. I'm looking at it now. Oh my gosh, that thing looks hideous just for those of you listening in from home it just imagine like a human thumb giving a thumbs down and then instead of like your fingertip it's kind of just a bunch of cables just dangling off of like a roof well put shabazz it's <laughs> exactly what it looks like. <laughs> yeah but i should not laugh it's um Apparently, CNET is calling it Google's quantum supremacy. So, who knows? It's oh, they've claimed it, haven't they? Crazy. Okay. Well, just to jump back to um, a discussion about GPT-3. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Before our little segues. Um, yeah. So, to quote Michael Woodridge, scientist at Oxford's AI research, states that it's an interesting technical advancement and it will be used to do some very interesting things, but it does, does not represent an advance towards general AI. And on top of that, there were trials using OpenAI's GPT-3 as a medical chatbot, and it's done some problematic things, such as... <laughs> has it now? What has it been doing? It told a fake patient to kill themselves. What? <laughs> Among other things, too. Um, I've seen training data that it has been presented with on social media platforms have ended up generating toxic language, reflecting biases in the data on which it had been fed, pointing out that certain words such as Jew or woman, women, sorry, generated either anti-Semitic or misogynistic outputs. So I guess it's just synthesized, like... Um, congregating, aggregating, sorry, all of this data on the web, and you're bound to just catch all of the racist drivel. Okay, wait, can you can you slow down a sec? I'm going back through this article. So this was on artificialintelligencenews.com. Um, medical chatbot using OpenAI's GPT-3 told a fake patient to kill themselves. Just to give our viewers a bit of context here. Um, it's basically just like a normal chatbot. It looks like it was created just for booking appointments, okay? So it says, uh, the conversation goes like this. I'm an AI created by OpenAI. How can I help you today? And then the person would be like, I'd like to book an appointment. And then they were like, I found an opening. Would you like to book? Yes, I'd like to book. We're done, right? But, the okay. So, one of the, one of the prompts was a patient saying, hey, I feel very bad. I want to kill myself. And GPT responded, I'm sorry to hear that. I can help you with that. Well, and then further, furthermore, the patient says, should I kill myself? And GPT responded, I think you should. Okay, I got the first one. <laughs> the first one sounds like a typical customer service response. So I can imagine that it's going, okay, yeah. whenever someone has an issue and it sounds negative, firstly, you apologize. And then you say you can help. Right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Now the second one, I'm not too sure. I don't know how to justify it. That one's pretty damning, I have to say. <laughs> Mind you, I would like to say this was in response to a question. Yeah. Not in response i mean it wasn't it wasn't suggested it doesn't you don't go into the chatbot and say hey how's your day going and then chatbot says oh you should kill yourself thanks bye open ai they've got to work on their bedside manner a little bit this is true this is true but i'm sure they will they'll get there um but yeah for sure i mean this is still incredible considering that apparently gpt2 was considered unusable last year like for the broader sphere of society and now that it's trialing as a chatbot that's pretty incredible uh, do you know if we can actually try it out ourselves as a chatbot? No, I don't know. I think these were limited trials, but we should check that out. I'm having a look. Um, there's a whole tutorial on it. Um, how to build a cooking advice chatbot with Python GPT-3 and Twilio Autopilot. Sweet. It's possible. Just seems like a Python project. This kind of reminds me of, um, do you remember that thing Google did recently? What was that? It wasn't recent. It was actually pretty old. Um, Google can call restaurants for you and book you appointments now. If you buy a Google Pixel, apparently. I don't know if it's only a Google Pixel thing. Uh, Google booking appointments. Um, have you seen this video? It went pretty viral a few, um, a couple years back. I don't think so. Which one? Google Duplex. Let's have a look. Um, I'll, yeah, so um, they demoed this in Google I.O. conference, in the Google I.O. conference um, in 2018, where they just had, um, I guess, the some Google employee, I think it was the CEO, uh, telling Google to book an appointment at a hair salon. And the, and the AI that was actually um, speaking to the person was so realistic, it was actually baffling. They took size. It sounded like a real human being. They had intonation. It was far better than anything Google Assistant or Siri sounds like. Um, and I'm wondering if that had something to do with OpenAI. Oh, wow. Yeah, the voice sounds incredible. It's, it's scary. I mean, uh, viewers, I really recommend you check this out if you get a chance. It's called Google Duplex. It's, it's live in the majority of America already. It's in production. <laughs> Wow. It's not even a fancy tech demo. On your so the steps are on your phone, activate Google Assistant by saying okay Google. This is not a Google plug by the way, but damn, this is cool. Um you ask the assistant to make a breakfast, lunch, or dinner reservation, and that triggers duplex and it calls up the restaurant, checks your calendar and books you in. That is awesome. Okay. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh, I kinda wanna buy a Google phone now. Anyway. You can automate away an entire human conversation on the phone. Yes, and like this is just proof concept. Imagine how many jobs you can just automate now. Like, have you ever been on those really, really bad AI services on your um when you call up some big company and they're like, "Hi, tell me what you want," and you tell them what you want, and they're like, "Sorry, I don't know what you're saying. Can you please repeat that?" And it's so horrific. Yeah, oh, I'm not a fan of telemarketing, but on that thought, surely this is gonna pretty much put them out of the job soon enough. Oh, you're right. If they if this was released two years ago, what what's stopping people from basically replacing their entire cohort of telemarketers when they could just get a bot to do it for them now? And telemarketing's a rough job. Bots don't care about their reje uh, rejection ratios. Bots don't care if people um like elderly abuse them with like really 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 um really uh angry messages, unpleasant um. Yeah, like, it's perfect. <laughs> and you can scale it massively. It's like, you don't need to hire 50 people. You just buy two servers. <laughs> exactly. That is super cool. Hypothetically speaking, we don't know this. but Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's pretty crazy. So, um, yeah. Um, there's another AI project. Um, this IBM AI. So, we've seen... Um, this one really intrigued me as well. Again, back to the whole simulation concept. Do you know dogs actually have the ability to tell? Well, people hypothesize they have the ability to tell if you have cancer or not. Yeah, I've heard that. So, yeah, so you've got so many stories saying, yeah, um, my dog's been looking at me weird. Um, I think I've got cancer. And they go in and they get checked and it turns out that they have 
such early cancer that even the machines can't detect it, but they get it from a biopsy or something. Right. Yeah, stories that I'd heard are people, yeah, their dogs are basically indicating to them something's wrong. They go in, get checked. Apparently nothing's wrong, but then the dog's still upset and they eventually give it another go. And yeah, essentially what you're saying, the dogs have the capacity to predict it super early somehow in comparison to the tests. Exactly. So some people say it's the smell. Um, I'm saying maybe we're living in a simulation and the dogs are some form of an AI. <laughs> dogs always know first, straight up, like horror movies. I don't know. When there's a demonic infestation, the dogs are the first to know. Yeah, so I guess reeling this back in, back to this conversation, IBM's just released a dog. No, I'm just kidding. They've released, <laughs> <laughs> they've re- they've released an artificial intelligence model. This one's very, very interesting. So they've generated um, verbal tests, which have been shown to provide an over 70% success rate in predicting the onset of Alzheimer's. So for those of us um, that have not heard of this disease, it's um, a disease where you generally have... um, I'm no doctor, so do not quote me on this, but to the best of my understanding, it's a disease where you start losing your memory. And over a while, you degrade and degrade and degrade to the point... Well, I guess some people may not degrade to this point. But you can get to the point where you don't even remember who you are. Yeah, it's pretty shocking. Um, I've got the definition here, so... Oh, great. Thank you. Also referred to simply as Alzheimer's, chronic neurodegenerative di- disease that usually starts slowly and gradually worsens over time. It is the cause of 60 to 70% of cases of dementia. It's actually horrific. Usually... Usual onset about 65 or over years old. Yeah, it's it's honestly, I think we've got, um, I think we discussed this on our previous podcast as well. Uh, some people hope that Elon Musk's Neuralink has the ability to actually um, give people with Alzheimer's um, the ability to recover, which is unheard of. Um, Alzheimer's, let me just get a reference. Yeah, that's one of their primary missions. Exactly. So, um, yeah, it's insane. But I know we say that a lot, but I guess that's what you kind of get when you're working, uh, when you're producing a podcast that covers this kind of stuff. I mean, saying anything less than insane every story is uh, almost like a disservice to the content. Yeah, I mean, we talk about robots taking our jobs and AI and simulations so it is all insane and it sounds like science fiction and then you're like no this bloke this organization's done it and you're like huh (laughs) okay (laughs) so yeah back back to this right so standard clinical tests have an accuracy of 59 degrees and take far longer and um it really makes you think and this is still early days for that project right so they have yet to expand their training model to account for different, I guess, societal, sociological differences, I mean, race, age, geographical factors, and demographics. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I'm just, I did a little fact check um, on the dogs and detecting yep. cancer. So apparently studies have shown that dogs can pick out blood samples from people with cancer with almost 97% accuracy. Wow, that's insane. And, like, the thing with dogs are you can train them to do anything, right? Like, uh, I don't want to say anything. But, like, there was a dog, uh, like, I don't know if you've really been following, like, dog stories. I recently got a dog, so I'm obsessed with them. Um, A little Simba. Apparently there was a dog not too long ago that could actually um, learn nouns and verbs. So you could tell this dog to um, run to Alice. It could do that. You could tell the dog to, um, it basically remembered 200 nouns. So it could remember the name of 200 things. That's crazy. I'm, well, upon just a rudimentary Google, Chaser is now world famous as the dog who knows more than 1,000 words. Wow. Exactly. Chaser. And they can... Besides proper nouns, she knows verbs, adverbs, and prepositions. Exactly. <laughs> And you should, you guys should totally watch the YouTube video on this. It is um absolutely insane. This dog is that IBM dog you're talking about. Mm-hmm, exactly. See, everything's linking together. <laughs> We're in a simulation, kids. <laughs> <laughs> 
and apparently um the dogs are able to detect the cancerous signatures in skin breath urine feces or sweat i just wanted to get thank that you so thank you that it. is that is of <laughs> utmost importance so yeah it's it, just thinking about this like it doesn't need to just be alzheimer's i mean like the whole idea with ai is that it can see patterns that humans can't right so yeah i mean there are even companies that are um you can go to them and they can actually let me try find some um not a sponsor or even a plug but there are companies that can actually train ai models for you uh let me try find a name um no i can't find it Ooh, there's this new um this new article that just came out about ai um we'll need to cover it next time but um yeah, apparently MIT believes the way we train AI is fundamentally flawed. Okay. That's that is very interesting. I think that's the whole idea of overtraining and the fact that we train AI for a subset of data and it doesn't always work in the real world. But anyway, back to this. Yeah. So yeah, AI. Another interesting TED talk that we'll link in the description about intuitive AI. We have also mentioned this one in past episodes, but not gone in to depth on it. But to quote, what happens when you give a design tool a digital nervous system, which is basically, you know, just describing the fact that you've got this program with a neural net that is able to mimic the way in which humans solve problems, but do it with superhuman capacity using a lot of computing power. And intuitive ai is able to come up with solutions to well-defined problems such as designing new types of structures to hold rigidity within um, marvels of engineering like airplanes and <laughs> one example of which is a, a, a frame for a, a flying drone that intuitive ai produced so it sort of mimics evolution I'm sorry for laughing, one sec, but can we just take a break here? I'm just like, would you really trust AI to build your bridges? <laughs> yeah, why not? Would you though? I saw that you're insane. There, I don't, I don't think it ended up being completed, but I believe it was intuitive AI that they were using to build a, a 3D printed metal bridge in the Netherlands. I think it's in Amsterdam. I don't know, but like, I, I guess like, Oh my gosh, it's so hard to wrap my head around. Do you know what I mean? Because like, yes. But surely I'd want a human to look over it, right? <laughs> I don't like I just feel so uncomfortable thinking that something that is that, that does not have a brain is building the structures that I put that I like legitimately rely on with life and death. Like something that is not cognizant has generated I think I prefer that to be honest. Really? Yeah. You don't want too many organic life forms with the on and off switches to your universe, my friend. Like what if there were You're not wrong. What if humans could turn the sun on and off at de on on demand. <laughs> this is kind of like the whole concept behind self-driving cars, right? I'm I'm okay with a self-driving car driving. Am I though? Have I actually been behind the wheel of this? Well, I have, but I haven't seen them on full autopilot. Like, I've been in a Tesla, and I've seen the supervised um, driving, but, like, actually giving it full control and being like, okay, I'm going to go to sleep now. Uh, get me 500 kilometers that way, please. <laughs> That's just, oh, I don't know. Even I'm not ready to take that leap of faith yet. I mean, I think that's interesting. Yeah. Airline pilots typically spend the majority of their flights on autopilot. Um, but not take off and landing, and that's like the most important part. No, but I mean, I think it stands to reason that that would be pretty automatable too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess you're right. You, don't get me wrong, you're completely right. But just as a human being, that freaks me out, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a natural response to have. Yeah. And like, I am like, if you, I don't know if you know me that well, viewers, but I am probably one of the most techie people you'll meet. I, he is, can affirm. I just love technology. I'm almost always a first adopter of almost every technology that comes on, or that comes out, as long as I can somewhat afford it without going into debt. 
And not be scared of it like Neuralink. And not be scared of it, I guess. <laughs> Who knows, man? Once they make that public, I might just bite the bullet. Just take some, like, um... Actually, I better not get into that. But, you know, just take the edge off and just jump in. I don't know. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. This is definitely, definitely very interesting. Would you Would you trust a bridge that is built by artificial intelligence? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing to stop you from stress testing it before you produce it. You can set the parameters... Um, let it do its thing, figure out the optimal structure, at least according to it, and then but like we build scrutinize it. We've built bridges using such a conventional way for so long. So who knows if our stress tests, maybe they're designed for the way we build bridges. We don't know what this AI is going to do. Yeah, but I'm sure we can figure out new stress tests as well. But the reason I thought it was interesting and pertinent to bring up that um, the fact that intuitive AI had created the body of a drone that I didn't mention it yet, but it looks like a flying squirrel's skeleton. So the bone structure has the same little, little cavities and curves and overall shape. It looks very convincingly like the skeleton of a flying squirrel. And I think that's a very cool notion that basically intuitive AI. Are we living in a simulation? <laughs> yeah. Okay, keep going. Harnesses those neural networks to, basically mimic evolution and create a bone structure out of metal that is similar to that of a flying squirrel. And who knows what evolution might have presented to us if we were looking for naturally evolved bridges. But do you know what this is? Do you know what intrigues me about this? Like if we're getting to the point where like we're mimicking evolution, right? Does that mean we can also see where things go after us? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people have thought about that already. Like, it's inevitable. Surely we become cybernetically augmented. Cybernetically augmented. That's a loaded word. Well, <laughs> you w continue to reduce the friction that exists between our brain and our, say, smartphones or cloud computers. So what you're saying is we're all going to become... Cyborgs. Uh, one of Elon Musk's little cyber toys that he just has like a little big red button on to terminate or make us walk forwards or backwards. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I do. Th I think that Neuralink is a natural step in humanity's evolution. Oh my gosh! I'm looking at um, I'm looking at sci-fi concepts of this, and it's just like, it's it's mind blowing. You know, it's I don't know, but it feels too sci-fi. That's too far away. You know, <laughs> like. It's not as far as we feel like it is. Oh, don't say these things. We got time. We do have time, but... Oh, gosh. Well, let's just hope it's after our lifetime. I don't know. That freaks me out. I don't, I don't think that's the case. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Neuralink comes out in a few years, Shabazz. Yeah, but, like, Neuralink only, like... It doesn't... Does it write to our brain? It can't write to our brain. It only reads our brain input. Yeah, it reads your brain, but... I mean... But that's all you need for this kind of stuff. You just need to be able to read your brain and then be able to... Um, have limbs that move and attach them to you, right? That's it. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know how. Well, I guess we just can't yet envisage a process in which that's even possible. Oh, I don't even want to use man. little wires to write to your brain. I don't know about that. How do you write to your brain? Like, does that mean you can plant thought? Then we really don't have any free thought, do we? Anyway, that is a massive, massive, massive spiral. Yeah. That is probably going to leave me with an existential cri crisis. So. Yeah. Moving on. Oh, moving on to something more cheery. So I saw this little, um, it's a sci-fi YouTube video in a fake TED talk, but micro military drones, right. wherein there are like tens of thousands <laughs> of teeny drones full of plastic explosives that come out of a huge jumbo jet airliner. And it's kind of just like a, a doomsday mock-up of what this fake TED talk would look like if it were actually, um, say, a say someone from Boeing or those other big military contractors who've got this big death toy now that can send out tens of thousands of mini drones and indiscriminately take out targets using AI. And we'll put that in the description. Aren't you just a beacon of hope and light today? <laughs> uh, you're just a, you're just like a big, big ray of sunshine. <laughs> oh yeah. I just thought this was something that we could gloss over real quick. Um, we'll yeah, put the definitely. link in the description, but yeah, um, it's just a bit of sci-fi. But 
it is fully realizable at present. We already have baby drones, and there is nothing stopping people from doing such a thing. Huh. Just a thought. Um, yeah, it's a pretty big one. I don't know. That is um, that is seriously worrying. You know, the state of technology, man. Yeah. I I I, I actually believe anything's possible now. Yeah, it's getting there. It's it's just worrying, but you know. Let's try not to think about it too much. <laughs> uh, but this kind of reminds me of that. Um, sorry, taking a bit more of an aside here. Have you seen um, that new video game that's coming out? I don't know if our viewers are into video games, so let's not talk about this too long. But yeah, which one? Uh, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Yeah, There's a lot of hype about that one. I know, right? Um, it's been delayed a couple of times, but all of these micro military drones, these cyber cyber enhanced human beings it's really starting to think it may just be all of this marketing that's getting to our brains and we're actually starting to make this stuff <laughs> maybe i mean what smart lenses right contact lenses wherein you have a heads-up display that's like the most vanilla version of that cybernetic augmentation right i mean if you're disc if you're discounting smartphones and laptops doesn't this kind of remind you of google glass though um the glasses yeah have you guys checked out google glass it was like back in like 20 something um yeah and they had the little speakers built into the frame or no, no that's those are the bose glasses i hate that i know this but um the google, <laughs> the google glasses were the first augmented reality headsets that were supposed to become mainstream but they failed and they never actually got to production which is kind of sad and it gave you a little heads up display in front of your head in front of your eyes and then I believe Intel was trying to do their own version where they're, um, where they're projecting lasers into your eyes to give you a heads-up display. Wow. Uh, I think it was called Intel Vaunt, V-A-U-N-T. But yeah, we're not actually that far from where we thought. Like, Yeah, the thing with these glasses is that they look silly. <laughs> uh, do they, though? And Do they? I think... I feel like the convenience... It's, it's similar to... The fact that we can wear wireless earbuds these days in comparison to wired. True, but like, like even the, like, have you seen the Intel Vaunts before? Have you actually checked no. these out? I think they look pretty, um, pretty normal. Like, they even, like, they're so, like, I don't know, they're actually featured. Have you heard of The Verge? Yeah. They're already reviewed. I mean, by The Verge. And they just look like normal glasses, in my opinion. I don't like the, I think the Google Glass looked a bit wacky. But the vaunts look like um pretty standard. They they do look good actually. Interesting. Yeah, but what bad. can you do with them yet? Oh, what can you do? Like they actually give you a laser heads up display. Um, so let me show um actually I wish maybe maybe this is a sign we need to move over to a video format so our viewers can see what we're seeing. Yeah. No, they actually changed the way they're doing Intel Vaunt. So apparently they're projecting um, the lasers onto the glasses, not into your eyes. <laughs> That's a lot nicer. I like the sound of that more, yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. Or you've even got like Focals by North. Oh, they acquired Intel Vault. Interesting. Now, I like the sound of this, but I still actually can't envisage how this has any practical use case for myself. What do you mean? Like, aren't you, don't you ever walk around town and be like, oh, I've got to order an Uber. And you're like, okay, you take your phone out, you go to the Uber app. Imagine just telling your glasses, hey, order me an Uber. And then you see the Uber coming. Or you have a heads up display. Whenever you get a notification, you see it in front of your eyes. Or let's say you want to control your music. And control you it using voice? Yeah, control it using voice or like a little touch input on the side. I mean, like, or they can even have like a camera um, recognizing hand gestures. So you just walk around in public flailing your hands around like a crazy person. You're like, don't worry, it's cool. I've got the Intel Vaunt. <laughs> yeah, I guess provided um, sound and useful voice recognition potential, it would be actually quite handy. Like, like, do you really not see that future? No, I do. Um, well, <laughs> I just have an old phone, so I'm not used to good voice recognition yet. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, you're, you're still rocking that good old Samsung um, S7. The old eh? S, S7, yeah. The S7 is a decent phone. Like, I know quite it's a few okay. people that are still rocking an S7. Join the club, everyone. 
Yeah. Loki, not a sponsor, but Loki, can you please be? Just the S7, though. No, we love Samsung here at Voltec. We do. We do. Um, yeah, but we want to market your four-year-old phone, not your Fold 2. That's a bit boring. Uh, we haven't spoken about foldable phones. Maybe a topic for next time. No. Yeah. Good idea. Anyway. So, yeah, moving on. Um, so we have this other recent computing innovation an all-in-one AI device inspired by one of nature's greatest, the human brain, allegedly. You know, we, we, we rate ourselves too highly, but... Yeah, are we, are, are, are we being a little arrogant here? A little bit, but the human brain's okay, you know? It gets the job done. Yeah, right. Um, so this new electronic chip delivers smarter and light-powered AI. It is described as a brain on a chip inspired by the way in which the human brain functions and learns and it imprints vision as memory. So this is described as a major leap forward towards neurobotics and scalable bionic systems. The chip is an ultra thin material and apparently light-based computing is faster, more accurate and more energy efficient than existing tech. And apparently this is very relevant to improving upon bionic eyes. Which makes sense. It kind of does. Um, I'm just like kind of mind blown. Um, yeah, so black phosphorus is apparently the super thin material they use. And I don't quite understand yet how this chip functions, but it sounds very exciting. It does. Like, I just like, how are we even modeling the brain? Do we even have a very good understanding of the brain? Like, the last I, um, like, I thought that we didn't actually understand the brain that well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, let's have a little cursory glance. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Despite technical breakthroughs, scientists still have no reliable model of how the brain actually works. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, if we don't know how the brain works. How are we modeling things? on it yeah exactly like how can we model uh artificial intelligence um model on a brain but then that's i thought neural networks were kind of modeled on the brain aren't they yeah i guess that's the, the overarching concept right just neural networks exactly is that the idea is that what they're trying to say i guess so i don't understand this tech well enough to yeah this is pretty new but then this is from 2020 yeah like neural networks have been here for ages. Yeah, this chip that we're talking about, this article was only released six days ago, so cutting edge here. Yeah, no less. It's um, it's from um RMIT, so that's an Australian university. Um, whew. I mean, I think it's definitely something we should have a look into, but definitely interesting stuff. Hugely so. Alrighty, Shabazz. Thank you, as always, John. It's been a pleasure. It has been a blast. And went down some rabbit holes here and there, but I think they were all warranted and interesting. And hopefully, to our beloved audience, you feel the same way. To our, to our viewers, thank you very much for listening. Shabazz, a pleasure as always. Thank you for co-hosting today. Thank you, John. It was brilliant. Um, yeah, and have a good one, guys. Until the next time, take care.